Dragon Slayer Audio. Exorcisamus te, Drago Maledicte. Good evening. This is Bill Oberst Jr. Welcome back to the Moonlit Library. Thirteen months of out to sea. Thirteen ghosts accompany. Thirteen friends remembered still. Thirteen graves we've yet to fill. It's a new season. Or is it the same old season? Hmm? How's it feeling to you? Is it dark where you are? I hope so. I mean, light of day is all well and good, but don't you long for the things you can only see with your eyes closed? And don't you get tired of being awake, always awake, even when you're sleeping, always one eye open, Aren't you tired? Me too. Me too. That's why I'm here. Still here. In this old papyrus dream temple. A person can rest here. It's a bit isolated, perhaps. But my... The view is fine, and the wine is better. I'm sorry, forgive me, where are my manners? Come inside, please, come in. You've come a long way. Here, just toss your old winter coat on that suit of armor there in the corner. Got him all polished up for you. You pull up an overstuffed chair. Good, here's your glass. Now just... Roll yourself over to this great floor-to-ceiling east wall window. We'll sit here for a moment and watch the moon rise. Hmm? There she comes. Oh, she's something, isn't she? It's a new show every night. You'll sleep well tonight. I've got a good story for you. A bit of M.R. James from the high and ghostly shelves way up there on the second floor. But first, would you do your old library keeper a favor? Would you close your tabs? Would you make it dark so you can see? That's better. Just settle in. I'll pour us some wine. And we'll toast absent friends. Hmm? So many gone. 
several of our faithful listeners and contributors from the first season of these podcasts have passed away. More than I know, I'm sure. But a few families were good enough to contact me and to say that their dear one had enjoyed the show and that they would not mind hearing that sweet name mentioned in a toast of tribute in this ancient, silent place. So raise your glass with me, will you, my friend? Here's to you, Des. Here's to you, Ramon. Here's to you, Glenn. Here's to you, Yvette. Here's to you, Amano. A toast to you, my dear friends across the veil, from your dear friends this side, from your fellow misfits all around the wounded world tonight, from wanderers who, like you, have loved old things and dreamed old dreams. We salute your memory. We thank you for the monstrously miraculous lives you lived. And we invite you to pull up a chair to our weird reading circle anytime you like. You belong here. You are welcome here. And you honor us with your presence. Cheers. I'm so glad you're here. All of you. Now, you lay your head back, you close your eyes, and I'll read to you for a while, just till you're drowsy. From my collection of M.R. James' fabulous English ghost stories, this is my adaptation of James' The Experiment. The Reverend Hall of Norwich was in his study. The rector was making up the entries for the year in the parish register, it being his custom to note baptisms, weddings, and burials in a paper book as they occurred, his housekeeper entered in evident agitation. Oh, sir, she said, whatever do you think? Well, the squire's gone. The squire? Squire Bowles, said Reverend Hall. What are you talking about, woman? Why, only yesterday. I know, I know, sir, but it's the truth. Wickham just left word on his way up to toll the bell. And the mournful sound of the ancient bell broke on the still night. Reverend Hall rose hastily. Terrible. Oh, it's terrible. I must go see them at once. Yesterday he seemed so... Look, did you hear any word of sickness having come his way at all? I mean, it all seemed so sudden. No, indeed, sir, she said. No such thing. He was just caught away with a choking in his throat, I heard. Oh, it do make one feel. Well, well I'm sure I had to set down as much as a minute or more. I come over that queer when I heard the words... But what I could understand, they'll be asking for the burial very quick. This sum can't bear the thought of a cold corpse lying in the house. Yes, well, I must find that out from Madame Bowes herself. 
Could you let Wickham know that I desire to see him when the tolling is over? And Reverend Hall hurried off. In an hour's time, he was back and found the sexton waiting for him. There's work for you, Wickham, he said as he threw off his cloak, and not over much time to do it in. Yes, sir, said Wickham. There's the vault beneath the altar to be opened. No, 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 that's not the message I have. The poor squire, Madame Bowes and Mr. Joseph, tell me, charged them not to lay him in the chancel. It is to be an earth grave in the yard on the north side. The north side, said Wickham, for the squire, and not in the vault. Why, the poor gentleman's mine must a be... Yes, 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 said Reverend Hall. It does seem strange to me, too. But Mr. Joseph says it was his father's, uh, I should say his stepfather's, express wish in the earth on the north. You know the poor squire had his fancies, Wickham, though he never spoke of this one to me. Oh, and there's another thing. No coffin. Oh, dear. Sir, said Wickham, that'll make for sad talk, that will. And what a disappointment. I've some beautiful wood for a coffin for the squire. Well, I've had that wood laid by for him for years past now. Yes, well, perhaps the family will make it up to you in some way, said Reverend Hall impatiently. But what you have to do now is get the grave dug and all things in readiness and get some torches and do it all by ten o'clock. It is to be a night burial. I thank you for your pains and for your hurry. <sighs> Very well, sir. If those be the orders, I must do my best to carry them out. Uh, should I send the women up to the house to lay out the body, sir? No, that was not spoken of. Mr. Joseph will send, no doubt, if they are needed. You'll have enough to do without that. I was making up the year's registers when this doleful news came. Little had I thought to add such an entry to them as I must now. Good night, Wickham. All things had been done in decent order. The torch-lighted cortege had passed from the squire's great house, through the park, up the lime avenue to the top of the knoll on which the church stood. All the village was in the procession, and such neighbors of the squires as could be told in the few hours available. There was no great surprise at the hurry, given the festive nature of the turning of a new year. There were few formalities of law then, and no one blamed the stricken widow for hastening to lay her dead to rest, nor was anyone surprised not to see her following the body in the funeral train. Her son Joseph only issue of her first marriage, was the chief mourner. There were no kinfolk on Squire Bull's side to bid come. The will, executed at the time of the squire's second marriage to the widow, left everything to her. And what was everything? Land, house, furniture, pictures, plate were all obvious. But though there should have been a large accumulation in cash, there was none. Squire Bowles had for years received good rents and paid little out, nor was he a reputed miser. He kept a good table, and money was always forthcoming for the moderate spendings of his wife, 
His stepson Joseph had been maintained ungrudgingly at school and college. What had he done with it all? What had he done with his money? No ransacking of the house brought any secret hoard to light. No servant, old or young, had any tale to tell of meeting the squire in unexpected places at strange hours. Nothing. Madame Bowles and her son were quite nonplussed. They sat in the parlor one evening, discussing the problem for the twentieth time. You've been at his books and papers again tonight, Joseph. Yes, mother. Nothing. Only more letters. What was it he was writing at? Why was he always sending letters to Mr. Fowler at Gloucester? Well, said her son, you know he had that maggot in his brain about the next world. Oh, yes, she sighed. Twas life after death he was always busy about. The last thing he wrote was a letter to Mr. Fowler that he never finished. Something about a middle state of the soul. Here, I'll fetch it. Here you are. You see, it's the same old rubbish. Joseph read aloud. My honoured friend, I make but slow advance in our studies, and I know not how far to trust these old writings. A text has lately come my way under oath of secrecy from a certain cleric which has it that for a time after death the soul is under control of certain spirits, Raphael and Nares, if I read correctly, and that during this time the soul is still so near the state of life that by prayer to these spirits the soul may be freed from the grave to come and disclose matters to the living. Come, indeed, it must, if it be rightly called, the matter of which is set forth in the text. But such summoning is not advised, for having opened the mouth of the newly dead, it may chance that his summoner shall see and hear more than he bargained for. But enough. I send the whole text to you under separate cover, as I have no use for it. I shall continue in the hopes that my studies will bear more useful fruit. Here Joseph stopped. He made no comment. For more than a minute, nothing was said. Then Madame Bowles, drawing her needle through her knitting, coughed and said, There was nothing more. Nothing, mother. The text of which he spoke... No, I believe he must have sent it on to Mr. Fowler. I see. And she said nothing more for a time. And then? Now that I think of it, Joseph, it would be only right to acquaint this Mr. Fowler with what has happened. They were close friends. Yes, Yes, I think you should do that. You will know what to say, Joseph. Yes, mother, you are in the right, said Joseph. I will not delay it. And he sat down to write. From Norfolk to Gloucester was no quick transit, but the letter went, 
and a larger packet came in answer, and there were more evening talks between mother and son in the panelled parlour, and at the close of one, very late, she said these words. "'Tonight, then, if you are certain of yourself, go by the field, be careful not to be observed, and here, here is a cloth that will serve.' "'What cloth is this, mother? A napkin?' "'A napkin of a sort? What does it matter? Go!' So he went out by way of the garden, and she stood in the door musing with her hand over her mouth. And then the hand dropped, and she said, half aloud, "'If only I had not been so hurried. "'Well, it's better there than here. "'I can't bear to have it in the house, "'knowing what its purpose was.' for it was the face-cloth she had handed her son. It was, sure enough, the very face-cloth which she, in her haste, had neglected to place upon her husband's face before burial. It was a very dark night, and the spring wind blew loud over the black fields, loud enough to drown all sounds of shouting or calling, if shouting or calling there was. The next morning, Joseph's mother was early in his bedroom. Give me the cloth, she said. The maids must not find it. And tell me, tell me quick. Joseph sat on the side of the bed with his head in his hands. He looked up at her with bloodshot eyes. We have opened his mouth, he said. Why in God's name did you leave his face bare, mother? You know how harried I was that day. Do you... You don't mean you saw... You saw it? Joseph groaned and sunk his head in his hands again. I saw it. And he said you should see it too. With a dreadful gasp, she clutched at the bedpost and clung to it. Oh, said Joseph, he's angry, mother. Oh, but he's angry. He was only biding his time, I'm sure of that. The money, his mother cried. You ask him about the money. The words would not come to my mouth, mother. Oh, you foolish, foolish boy. I tried. I heard something like the snarl of a dog come from that face. And then I hid my own face, and then it was morning. Joseph got up and paced the room. And what can we do? What can we do? He's free. He, he shall return tonight. He has said that he would. I, I dare not meet him. I dare not take the same drink and go where he is. I dare not lie here another night. Oh, God, why did you do it? Why did you do it? We could have waited. We should have waited. Hush, said his mother. Her lips were dry. Twas as much you as I, and you know it. Listen to me. Tis but six o'clock and a day before us. We've muddy enough to cross the water, such as he cannot follow across the water. Yarmouth's not so far, and most night boats sail for Holland, I've heard. See you to the horses. I'll be ready. Joseph stared at her. I must go to Reverend Hall. We must tell him everything. We must cast ourselves on the mercy of... You will tell the parson, 
said his mother coolly, "'only that we have wind of property in Amsterdam, "'and that we must claim it or lose it. "'Now go and see to the horses. "'Or if you were not man enough for it, "'lie here again and wait for him tonight.' "'Joseph shivered and went. "'That evening, after dark, "'a boatman lumbered into a tavern near Yarmouth Quay, "'where a man and a woman sat, "'saddlebags on the floor by them. "'Ready, are you, mistress and gentlemen?' he said. "'She sails by the hour, "'and my other passenger, he's waiting out on the quay. "'Be this all your baggage?' "'And he picked up the bags. "'We travel light,' said Joseph.' "'And you have more company bound for Holland?' "'Just the one,' said the boatman. "'And he seems to travel lighter yet.' "'Do you know him?' said Madame Bulls. "'She laid her hand on Joseph's arm, "'and they both paused in the doorway. "'No, but for all he's hooded, "'I'd know him again fast enough.' He have such a curious way of speaking. I'd not wonder if he knows you too by what he said. He says, Go and fetch him out, and I'll wait on him here, he says. I sure enough, he's a-coming this way now. Poisoning of a Husband was treason then, and women guilty of it were strangled at the stake and burnt. The court records of Norwich tell of a woman so dealt with, and of her son hanged thereafter, convicted on their own frantic confession, made at midnight before the rector of their parish, the name of which I withhold, for it is said that hidden treasure was found there. The text which Squire Bowles sent to Mr. Fowler of Gloucester is in the University Library at Cambridge on a shelf I think it best not to specify. I have seen it. It reads as follows. A holy experiment. Most oft proved true to find out of lawful treasure hidden in the ground, of theft, of manslaughter, or of any other righteous thing needful to know. Go ye to the grave of a new dead man, and three times call him by his name at the head of the grave, and say his name, and say, I conjure thee, I require thee, and I charge thee that thou ask leave of Raphael and Nares this night to come and tell me truly all treasure that lie in the ground and any persons guilty of blood and all else that I would have of thee. Then take of the earth at the dead body's head and knit that earth up in a cloth and put that cloth beneath thy right ear and sleep thereupon and that night the dead will come to thee, in sleeping or in waking, and will tell thee of all good things, 
in the eyes of the Lord. Only this, on pain of thy soul, speak these words but with a pure heart, and look not upon the uncovered face of the dead. A pure heart. Hmm? Is there one of those among us? Is there fate? Does a road, once we've started down it, insist upon our reaching its end? Is the die then cast? Or... Is there only our fear, or, most frighteningly of all, is our fear our fate? I wonder. And James, like all good authors, <laughs> leaves us to wonder, which is just fine with us, isn't it? We are the wandering, wandering type, you and I. And on such things, we will dream. No more out to sea. Friends accompany. Dreams remembered still. Graves we have well filled. You can leave a response in your own voice to tonight's show at speakpipe.com slash Bill Oberst Jr. Speakpipe.com slash Bill Oberst Jr. I hope you will. I love hearing from you. But it's time for sleep now. For the books are all back on the shelves. And the goblet has fallen harmlessly from your hand. And the sweet benediction of a winter's moon is shining down, down, down upon the stone floor, the Egyptian carpet at this silent place, and on you, lying there in your place of rest. And an old library keeper, in an old library, on the edge of a precipice, on the edge of a forest, on the edge of a world, wishes you sweet dreams. Sleep well, you monster you. I'm glad to see you again. And remember, it's always midnight somewhere. And 
in someone's soul. Good night.